0: This is the iRead Comic Books podcast. I am your host. Back from Japan, I am Mike Rappin. With me this week are two fantastic human beings, Nick White. Hey. And Kate Lamphere. Hi. Thank you guys for joining me this week. I'm very excited to be back. I I took three weeks off, and I didn't know what to do with myself on Sundays. It was the strangest thing in the world to just have this gap where I was like, normally I'd be doing a thing. I'd be sitting at my desk doing something. And it was to the point where when I came back from Japan, I feel like I was sitting at my desk like that Sunday when you guys were recording an episode, half awake in like this weird zombie fervor. And I was like... (laughs) talking to the microphone and not <laughs> recording anything like I moved it over in front of my face. I it was a it was a whole thing. So, I'm glad that I'm actually here recording the show with you guys. I want to ask the question that I ask every single week. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kate.
1: I've been great and comic books have been fantastic. I had a couple of holds to pick up from the library recently, so of course, I now have oh, like a dozen books out from the library right now.
2: Nice. I only had
1: 3 holds. Um, And then I went to the Grand Rapids Comic-Con yesterday. I took my baby brother, who is almost as old as I am, but still younger. Um, (laughs) That's how that works usually. (laughs) (laughs) One Um, day he'll catch up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Someday he'll be my age. But then I'll be older, so he'll still be my baby brother. Um, anyway, we went to we only went to one panel. It was from Sourcepoint, which is a Michigan um, comic book publisher. And in 2015, when I started to notice them, they were they were s- reasonably small, and I was concerned. You know, a young publisher. Um, in my experience with book publishing, small companies tend to go out pretty quickly. So I was like, okay, these guys are either going to make or break it within a few years. Well, they're still around and they're doing really well. So that panel focused on a book called Hope by Dirk Manning and Kaylin Smith. And the editor and the publisher and the hosts of the panel were all there. They had a really good conversation. They were all really passionate about it and it was a lot of fun to listen to them. Um, And then they even had a... Um, cosplayer that dressed up as the main character. So that was really cool to see an independent book getting that kind of um, recognition or a small press book. Oh, very Um, cool. And then at the rest of the con, there were some really great cosplays. There were group cosplays. There was a giant Reinhardt cosplay from... a video game. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a Steve and Dustin pair from Stranger Things. They got a lot of attention. I've seen a picture of them posted on Facebook by multiple people. Nice. Um, there was a game room that was the Brian Haskin Memorial Game Room. I knew Brian Haskin when he was around to help run things like this, and he mm-hmm. passed from cancer. So it's just really nice to see that he, his presence is still there. Um, so anyway, it was a really great experience. Um, but even the small cons like this are really exhausting because oh, yeah. <laughs> there was still a ton of people. It was it was really, really busy this year which was great, but man, I the older I get, the less patience I have for crowds. So <laughs> we were only yeah. there for like four hours. Um, in terms of what I've read, I've read quite a bit. Um, I wanted to talk about Friends with Boys by Faith Erin Hicks. Um, this was the artist who did Pumpkin Heads that I read recently. That was mm-hmm. written by Rainbow Rowell. Um, but this book was all Fa- uh, Faith Aaron Hicks, and it's about this girl that starts high school after being homeschooled by her mom, and her mom recently left the family, and they don't know where she went or anything that happened what? to her. Not in, like, a scary way, just oh, in, like, she, a oh, mom-hasn't-been-in-contact okay. <laughs> way. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, she's got twin brothers and then an older brother who's in the theater and then her dad's a police officer and of course high school is terrible already and (laughs) she doesn't have any friends because she was old school then her brothers all have their own lives at at school so she makes friends with this girl that has a mohawk and all these piercings so i'm like goth girl she's gonna be really moody and she was totally not that like totally broke the stereotype (laughs) she was just really cool i'm really friendly person um but this main character also sees a ghost which there's like some kind of reversal going on in terms of the story where like her mom is missing, but there's this ghost here. Maybe the ghost is looking for her family who's died, you know. <laughs> She's like an 1800s ghost. Um, so I wanted to see more of that, uh, that parallel explored, but I didn't really get into that. Um, but it does, it is a, a nice standalone one volume book. Um, and I'm really hoping that there's going to be another one because I want more of this ghost relationship. Um, but if it, if this is all that there is, it's still a really cute story. I love the art. Um, it's very YA, but that works for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and Faith Erin Hicks is really good about um, using diverse body types in her books. And even within the family, everybody looked, was was built pretty different. So that's nice to see in comics.
0: That's cool. I, I was I was gonna say you know with the ghost mom thing I was like didn't they make a movie about that that was just absolutely terrifying about two young girls who were found in the woods and they have been be, they were like raised by some ghost mom, and oh the gosh. ghost mom didn't want anybody to. I, I I can't remember what the name of this movie is, but I remember Ugh. being scared lifeless, like from the trailer alone. I was like, I'm never going to see that. But that's like Michael. That's the, a great. The, concept. the name
2: of that movie is Jack Frost, and it's not a ghost <laughs> mom. It's a it's a um, oh, right. It's snow a Snowman dad. dad, played by Michael Keaton, <laughs> and that movie right. is oh, scary. How could I forget? Yes, that movie
0: terrifying. <laughs> Okay, well, it also sounds like you had a great time at Grand Rapids Comic Con. I think that it's, it's great to hear that small cons like that, especially that one, is growing pretty well because I know that it had like a rocky start and that there were two competing conventions and there was some bl- bad blood between those guys, so... It's good to hear that there was like a positive experience coming out of that one because um, I know it had like a very rocky start, but it's obviously grown into a much bigger thing. I hmm, think yeah. we should go. I feel like I should come back to Michigan just so I can attend it because I've never actually been.
1: <laughs> yeah, I de- I wore my I read comic books T-shirt and I had some people comment on it and I gave out nice. like, some some like bookmarks that I had that had our information on it. But very nice. You definitely would have done a much better job of advertising for us. Sure, because you're more you're more extroverted than. I i am (laughs) sure yeah sure i'd love to go with you someday
0: yeah maybe maybe next year we'll see here's here's a sticker if you don't make eye contact with me (laughs) oh kelly kelly just told me that the name of that movie was mama so um i'm never gonna see that movie but i'm (laughs) glad that we know what what
2: it's called nick what about you how have you been how have comic books been um i mean it's nick which means it's it's the west michigan weather watch i'll i'll leave it at this um (laughs) <laughs> on friday i was uh, shoveling snow and on saturday i was raking leaves so michigan <laughs> nice. is fucked um beyond that things have been okay not a hundred percent great uh i will uh, in, in instead of elaborating too much on that i would like to read to you a, a brief statement from a certain website uh important uh comicbookdb.com will be closing its doors on december 16th 2019 as we look towards creating a new and improved tool for collectors to utilize and by that it just i mean everything's over like that's it (laughs) comics are over now pack up the internet pack up comics we're done all of it's done um for those unaware this is like my favorite website Because it gives the illusion of me being a much more uh, info-retentive individual when it comes to comics. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, This site is the absolute best thing that exists on the internet. If you're ever needing to look up who worked on a book or you're trying to see what other things someone worked on, this is the tool... And normally, I'd say this is something everyone should use, except uh, you're only gonna have through December sixteenth and then who knows what's gonna happen from there so uh um it's all downhill from here in the words of newfound glory um what, what's really interesting about that though is I feel like that resource has been there for a really long
0: time, and I would be very curious to know why it's shutting down I'm sure it's like a it's a it's a monetary thing I'm sure it's like somebody just doesn't want to deal with the maintenance of the website anymore I, I think it's something I completely understand but I I'm curious to know what's going to happen with all that data I think you and I kind of briefly talked about this one when, when you told me about it
2: well I mean as they said they're creating a new and improved tool but right now the only new and improved tool i see are the people shutting down my website
0: yeah well that's that's the thing i'm wondering if they're going to close the doors the same day they open the doors on something new because there's always like i feel like when websites do this where they say oh we're gonna shut down and come back with something new the time between when that new thing comes out ends up growing exponentially by the day yeah so it's It's very worrying because I think that that resource is unbelievably helpful to the comic book industry in the modern day.
2: Yeah, and I like how bare bones it's always been. Like it hasn't been just filled with fucking ads and and fancy diagrams in the same way that, you know, as Reddit has gone on over the years, it's had to become more of like a resource-intensive site instead of the really fast one with text. Anyway, now we're talking web design. I'm sure you're all... Really loving that. So, anyway, go, go check out comicbookdb.com before it ends/slash becomes new. I guess you know, comicbookdb.com is dead. Long live comicbookdb.com. I guess I don't know. Well, we'll see what the new website looks like. Yep. I mean, <laughs> making some broad assumptions here, Nick. That's this is how I roll. Um, I know, I know. Anyways, what have you been reading? So for those of you unaware, I have been going to the library lately, and unfortunately that means that I do end up reading books that do make me learn things, um, because uh, their graphic novel selection is like Watchmen, uh, Mouse, uh, Fun Home, um, Mm -hmm. everything very serious and on like a top 10 graphic novels list of all time, whatever, so it's hard to find stuff that falls outside of that. But I did read a book called Moonbound. Um, It's uh, about Apollo 11 and the dream of space flight. It's written and drawn by Jonathan Fetter Vorm uh, with with the introduction by astronaut Michael Collins, who was the lunar module pilot of Apollo 11. So that's about as good as you can get in terms of writing an introduction about Apollo 11, um, or in terms of getting someone to write the introduction of your book about Apollo 11 yikes Mm -hmm. um he also wrote a graphic novel about the first atomic bomb and another one about the civil war after this book i'm pretty interested in picking up both of those uh it was it was definitely a fitting read for those unaware we recently celebrated the 50th anniversary of putting a man or two men, I guess, to be specific, on the moon, uh, back in July, originally taking place in 1969. Um, But the book isn't just about those several days. It sort of covers mankind's obsession with the moon in the centuries that predated the whole expedition. We cover everybody from the Babylonians to Galileo to Kepler. It sort of begins with the myths and legends of ancient civilizations attempting to explain the moon and sort of moves onwards from there. The layout of the book is really interesting it just constantly keeps moving back and forth between the mission in 1969 and then all of these uh events and 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 everything that sort of led up to it like i said everything from the mythologies people crafted around the moon to galileo kepler etc cetera, etc cetera. and so what's nice is that you get a chapter about the um mission to the moon And then it sort of cuts away almost on sort of a cliffhanger moment in the the mission where things are a little bit, you know, up in the air, and they sort of go, oh, and now it's time for an intermission. And they'll do a chapter about um, something else. And what's nice is that these alternating chapters um, have like a duotone color aesthetic, almost like if you've read uh, many of Darwin Cook's Parker books, where it's sort of, it's black and white and gray, but then also blue. Yeah, yeah. And, and so with this book, you have these duotone chapters. Um, sometimes they're gray, sorry, no, sometimes they're uh, green or purple. Um, and it kind of functions much like sep- sepiotone in a film where they, it's sort of, the, you, you take note of the visual cue and you, you're aware that you're experiencing you know, this longer lead up to the actual mission. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think what's really nice about this book is that even if you feel slightly or moderately informed about the whole mission and the context in which it exists, you're more than likely still going to come away with some useful fact or anecdote that you never knew before. And if you knew everything, um, congrats on being a real brainy dork and have fun deriving no knowledge from this work, I guess, you know, great. (laughs) Um, Nick, (laughs) I mean, I learned, for example, that people had some really crazy ideas about what was on the dark side of the moon. Uh, Some people thought it's where three headed horse vultures lived. Um, Other people thought it was actually where all of the things people lost on earth turned up, which was kind of a, interesting idea um
0: were these theories that were made in like 1960 when we were still figuring out the moon or this is like babylonian stuff
2: yeah this is like (laughs) oh yeah 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 this this goes back a ways (laughs) yeah yeah i hope okay good (laughs) um you know we i also learned about more about sort of the uncomfortable fact that a lot of the or at least a good amount of the united states um rocket programs and whatnot um were due to the fact that we recruited a lot of the Nazi rocket scientists following mm-hmm, mm-hmm. World War II because, um, in the uh justification of the American government, it was either we took them or the Russians did. Um, so that was kind of uh. Some uncomfortable truths. Um, oh, of course. So what I wasn't aware of was that apparently Truman refused to give citizenship to former Nazi officers, but the OSS, that's the Office of Strategic Services, which predated the CIA, was busy um, fudging problematic paperwork to get these people into the United States. So um, the more you learn, right? I, anyway, I learned a lot. Yeah, it yeah. was super fascinating. I, I highly recommend this book. If you know nothing about any of this, you'll find it even even more um, enriching. Briefly, I'll cover something else I read. Uh, Abe Sapien, The Drowning, and other stories, um, written largely by Mike Mignola and John Arcudi, art by, and by not any means limited to, listen to this list here, Patrick Reynolds, James Horan, Michael Avon Oming, Kevin Nolan, Juan Ferreira, Guy Davis, uh, and others. Wow. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this. We even got a story drawn by the guy that drew the original Aliens miniseries at Dark Horse, Mark Nelson. I totally changed my mind on this book. At the beginning I was like, you know what this is? This is Hellboy with an um really mopey protagonist. Um and it's uh BPRD, except you no longer have the great team dynamic that BPRD had. But then as I read it, I sort of realized that the book was more willing to delve into flashbacks about the BPRD, whereas like the BPRD has almost always been a very like chronologically always moving forward book. So this book actually allowed us to get more stories of Hellboy and Ape Sapien working together in the BPRD, which you weren't really getting anywhere else until Hellboy and the BPRD sort of showed up right I was gonna say I think that there is (laughs) Abe Sapien fans who were
0: about to you know come at you with some pitchforks about this (gasps) all four of them can get (laughs) mad I don't
1: care
2: (laughs) Uh, I mean
0: Abe Sapien's a pretty well-loved
2: character I'll just say that yeah he's a dork um I mean uh probably my favorite story though was the Ogo Pogo which is about um, a 70-foot-long lake monster that lives in Okanagan Lake in British Columbia. And this was uh, one of my favorite joys about Hellboy and Hellboy-adjacent books, and this is because I'm a fucking dork, is I Google everything and I'm like, is this real? Or I guess, in the case of a sea monster, is this allegedly real outside of this book? Mm -hmm. And then discovering, unsurprisingly, that with a lot of these Hellboy and Hellboy-adjacent narratives, a lot of this stuff does have a history it wasn't completely concocted so Right. Yeah, it was interesting to find out this whole sea monster had been mentioned on the X-Files and had a Canadian postage stamp based off of it. And Nick, what about oh, the nice. stories? Yeah, I know the stories are important, but anything that allows me to go on Google and start Googling all sorts of weird cryptozoological creatures, like, you've got my vote. So so what you're also saying is that you and Abe Sapien have
0: a lot in common being fucking dorks. Fucking dorks, yeah. Real, <laughs> real buzzkills, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Oh, but what about the science? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you, Mike?
0: Yeah, well, for me, you know, I've had... You know, I was traveling for quite a while, and you guys managed to make some fantastic fucking episodes. I'm not even joking. Um, some of my favorite episodes that I'm not on have been recorded while I was gone, and... Uh, recently i should say and i really really enjoyed what you guys put together it's really really fun stuff um but i did manage to read a bunch i should say i read a fuckload on the plane trip to japan in that i read almost all of Chu wow. in a sitting like wow. i read volumes one through ten in on the plane ride there and i watched some movies and slept and stuff but by the time i was two or three days into japan i had finished Chu and i read all of it and it was insane so john layman rob Gilroy, like what a fucking book Holy shit! That's all I'll say about it. I honestly think I could do a whole like mini so just about that series. So, uh, what an ending! What a book I've been sitting on volume 12 for months like since it came out and I wanted to do a full reread and this was like the perfect opportunity to do so and I did it it was great the other books that I did read that I want to mention um, I did pick up Joker Killer Smile because quite honestly I can't resist that stupid fucking cover it looks way too cool I had to pick it up so I had to pay that ridiculous cover price of $6 um, but this is Jeff Lemire, Andrea Sorrentino with Colors by Jordi Blair um, the story is we have this psychiatrist who thinks he can help the Joker it's classic it's, it's the problem that every single psychiatrist or medical <laughs> professional that thinks they can walk into Arkham and help the Joker faces. I'm going to be the one. Yeah, exactly. And that's like a joke <laughs> in the book is like, this is going to consume you. And he, the guy's like, nah, it's it's going to be fine. Nah. And he, <laughs> I sent this clip to Nick um, while I was reading it. And it was <laughs> a screencap of the doctor saying, Arkham is the safest place in Gotham. <laughs> There's no way the Joker could get out and cause me any harm. Ha ha. Little does he know. Um, this book moves on and it's, it's pretty much what you expect. I mean, honestly, I'm not really sure what the big twist is going to be because of how predictable I felt the story was. The Joker's messing with this guy, the end. But what's the big twist going to be in the book? Um, Nick, when I was talking to Nick about it, he kind of argued that this is going to be kind of like a mental health thing, um, similar to something like *Getting Falls*. Is just—is this just Jeff Lemire and Andrea and Sorrentino kind of retreading the same territory? I don't think that it is, in that it feels like another book that's just like *The Joker* makes you crazy, and you <laughs> move on. So, again, I'm wondering what the what the big twist is going to be. I'm gonna buy issue two yeah. because I'm curious enough to follow through. Issue one hooked me enough to say like where exactly are they going to go with this if they're, if it's just beyond this single issue? Because the single issue felt like it was almost standalone in a weird way in that, yes, the this guy thought he could fix the Joker, and it turns out that he can't. I think the subsequent issues are going to follow more of this story, so we'll see. I don't know. It was weird. Somebody out there, please correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't looked into this book at all. I just kind of picked it up. The other thing I want to mention really quick is I did read Space Riders Volume 2, Galaxy of Brutality. This is written by Fabian Rangel Jr. with... Uh, Art by Alexis Ritt, who is working on that fantastic book *Night Hunters* that's going to be coming out with Dave Baker. I've been sitting on this book for almost a year and a half now. I I don't know why I never sat down to read it. I think it just got kind of lost in my pile, and so I picked it up the other day and read it. And this is like the most badass book ever, as Volume One was. It's just dudes and flying through space, kicking the shit out of bad guys because space is a wild, wild west type frontier where. You know, you have enemies that are riding on motorcycles that are their spaceships, and they try to attack other people and act as pirates. And meanwhile, our main character, Captain Pellegro, his and his co, I guess... Shipmates, Mono and Yara, are out there working for the Space Riders, which are just kind of like this policing force that try to stop the evils of the universe, but they're such a small force, it's really hard for them to do so, so they've got this underdog feeling to them, Um, the three of them have split up in the beginning of this volume, um, and now they have to come back together as the the evil baddies of the universe unite. And only they can stop them from destroying the universe and it's nonstop action, constant, page after page after page of people beating each other up or massive two-page spreads of just this skull-shaped spaceship flying through space in bright neon colors on the background of a void with white speckles. It's... It's something you have to witness. I cannot put correct words to describe how cool this book looks, which is why I was immediately on board with Night Hunters when they were pitching that Kickstarter because Zrit's art is unbelievably good. The dude, Basically, lays down ten pounds of ink into his page and then draws color on top of it because everything seems with him to start with the inky, all-consuming void color that he uses for his inks, and then he adds color to it on top of it. It's it's great. Um, the story in Space Riders never really that complicated. It's just like how can we amp things up to another level? And for a four-issue miniseries, that's exactly what I want. Just nonstop action, getting us to the point where the bad guys have to fight the good guys and They go head to head and everything gets exploded and bright neon, break your brain style page layouts um, that Zerit is really, really good at. So if you're interested in something that's just like balls to the wall, crazy pedals of the metal shit, I think Space Riders Volume 1 and 2 are exactly what you need. I know that they have a new volume coming out pretty soon, so or I think the first issue came out already, um, and I think there's going to be another like three issues after that. So Space Riders, highly recommended by me. But let's move on. Let's talk about comic books that are coming out in the upcoming week. Comic books are dropping on November 13th, 2019. What are you
2: both excited for this week? I'm going to kick it back to you, Nick. Sure. Well, for me, it would have to be the trade paperback of Fallen World. Um, This is a series from Valiant. Uh, I wasn't pulling it, but I was picking it up whenever there were extras in the shop. Because as we've talked about before, this is a terrible just faulty awful psychological tool to just trick yourself into thinking you're um spending less money and you're a responsible Mm -hmm, person mm -hmm. (laughs) um most of the time this has worked for me which is terrible because it only reinforced that i should keep doing it um with (laughs) fallen world it did not (laughs) i got the first two issues and then struggled to find the rest simply put uh, this is a Valiant book that more or less is not a jumping-on point, and I'm not saying that I think jumping-on points are a waste. What's a waste is throwing around the term jumping-on point until it really really ceases to have any value or meaning, which is something Valiant's been a little bit guilty of. Um, it's written by Dan Abnett. It's drawn by Adam Polina who I know has some sort of a X-Men background, I think, but I mainly know him for drawing Secret Weapons Number Mm 0. It's got Ulysses Arreola on colors, which is, he's kind of my least favorite Valiant colorist, but um, this book seems uh, more palatable than some of his others. Jeff Powell on letters. Uh, more or less you probably shouldn't read this book unless you've read 4001 AD which was Valiant's summer event of 2016 and you probably should have read Matt Kent and Clayton Crane's Rye series that ran into said event maybe even the 4001 AD one-shots too although that could kind of be argued I guess the major TLDR here would be uh, in the future you have an AI called Father he creates a Mechanized megalopolis called New Japan to lift off and it goes Into space and as you might imagine Earth goes hey Um not sure What you're doing but I'm pretty sure that's Not okay especially from all The environmental fallout (laughs) that came With you lifting off this giant Thing into space so they get In a war with New Japan New Japan Fights off efforts to bring it under terrestrial Control surprise surprise New Japan Is corrupt internal conflict Boils And it crashes back into Earth and that's kind of where this book begins as post-apocalyptic Earth in the 41st century Kind of comes face to face with all of these refugees and survivors of um, New Japan And it's it's everybody from the 4001 iteration of Bloodshot to Rai to War Mother And if any of these people don't sound that familiar, that's probably why, as I said earlier, this does not look like a new reader-friendly book but for someone like me
0: who read the Rye series and the 4001 AD book that they did, um, this sounds right up my alley. I've been meaning to pick up all the single issues. Maybe I'll just grab the trade because this sounds super cool. And Dan Abnett, as a writer, like, hell yeah, count me in.
2: Yeah, oh, absolutely. What I've read of it has been really promising. And Dan Abnett, for someone who I I think has not written any Valiant before this point, um, the man is not afraid to really delve deep into more than a couple valiant properties and franchises um to bring them into this book which is pretty unusual for someone who hasn't really been in the valiant camp for for that long well let me look it up on comicbookdb.com while i still can
0: to see yeah. if he has he's got a little over um. a month yeah <laughs> yeah uh, that's interesting that's interesting i mean you you've sold me i think i definitely need to grab this book that's i can't believe i didn't know it was coming out but kate what about you what are you excited for this upcoming week
1: um well That sounds really cool, Nick, but that sounds like there's a lot of required reading before that happens, so maybe I'll be one of the few people that uh, just dives right in and doesn't know what's going on. (laughs) Just just start
2: with Rye, Kate, and I'll send you the rest of the checklist.
1: So I had mentioned that I saw a panel about uh, a book called Hope at the Grand Rapids Comic-Con, and I'm really Mm -hmm. excited about that. The trade is coming out soon, but they didn't give me a release date, so that's what I'm really looking forward to, but it's probably not going to come out next week. Right. My pick for next week is Firefly the Sting. Um, (laughs) Yes, that Firefly. Kate, um, Kate, they're still making Firefly comics. They don't understand. They Well, they, uh, Boom picked it up. Boom got it from Dark Horse. So they've like really uh, revived it. This is written by Delilah S. Dawson. And there's a number of artists because this is a book about a heist but just from the women of Firefly, and it goes through the heist in everybody's different points of view, so there's a different artist for every point of view. That's cool. So, mm. like, there's been... You might say that there's been a lot of movies lately about ladies running around doing heists, which is awesome, mm-hmm. but I'm betting that you still haven't seen one where they're in space with a sleeper assassin, a boss mechanic, a companion with a starting charisma of 18, and, and a changeling outlander, and Zoe... <laughs> Someone stole my book. And I know that this sounds like a and d party, but that just makes me more excited.
0: <laughs> I love it. Oh, my God. <laughs> that sounds exciting. That that description alone, is that from the actual book or did you write that?
1: Uh, I mean, they are. it is a heist, but no, I'm the one that came up with the D&D.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, regardless, you sold me. This sounds like so much fun.
1: <laughs> I'm so excited that they're doing different things with the Firefly universe.
0: Right. Right. They can't just keep doing what Dark Horse is doing. It's interesting to hear that Boom is trying something new with that series.
1: Yep, I've already requested it from my comic shop.
0: Very nice. Well, for me this week, I am excited. I'm going to just talk about the X-Men really quick, guys. I haven't been able to talk about all these new X-Men number ones, and I just want to say like, I should have recorded something on my phone and just sent it in to the show <laughs> so that there could just be like an X-Men minute. Though I do appreciate that everyone tried really hard. There was... <laughs> I think every week someone brought up the X-Men in some capacity, and honestly, that warmed my heart quite a bit. Um, But I want to say I'm excited for Fallen Angels number one, duh, because it's a new number one. This is by Brian Hill with Art by, I'm going to try this. Simon Krudansky. I think that's how you pronounce it. This book has X-23, Psylocke, aka Betsy now, and Kid Cable on the cover. I don't know who else is going to be in this book, and quite honestly, I don't care because I'm going to fucking read it regardless. (laughs) But let me just say, I don't want to talk about that book anymore. It's exciting. Um, I'm going to rank my picks for the current X-Men number ones that I have read that have been released uh, in the order of that I like them the least to the most. So people come at me with some fire. Number five, The Marauders. Number four, X-Force. Number three, New Mutants. Number two, X-Men number one Excalibur come at me people one other thing I want to point out I feel like there was a lot of discord on Twitter about people changing their names in the comics like Psylocke is now going at, to be known as Betsy she just wants to be called Betsy because she's no longer in her old body or her new body or whatever she's back to her her British body let's just say that and she wants to be called Betsy now that's great Kitty Pride doesn't want to be called Kitty anymore she wants to be called Kate that's fine. Totally fine by me. However, you would think that if this whole thing was a big deal and Kate Pride wanted to be called Kate, and she points it out multiple times in Marauders, that they would respect that in the New Mutants book or in the x-force book when she shows up for a moment she shows up in new mutants i believe and she's still being called kitty Uh, there definitely isn't a time problem because it's not a matter of oh she decided to do that later than when new mutants came out no uh, the outcome of marauders number one happens before new, new Mutants happens, and people are still calling her Kitty and she's not correcting them. I'm like, come on people, let's get some consistency here because if we're gonna fight so hard on the internet about her changing her name, we need to be consistent. I just thought that was an oversight and I was upset. <sighs> Anyways, let's move on to talk about the book that I'm actually excited about. On top of that is Black Stars Above Number 1. This is by Lonnie Nadler Lonnie Nadler with art by Jenna Cha. This is her debut book. Colors by Brad Simpson with letters by Hassan Otsamine elahu I'm so I'm so bad at his name. I'm so sorry, Hassan. The synopsis is the year is 1887 and a storm brews. A young fur trapper flees her overbearing family only to get lost in a dreamlike winter wilderness that harbors a cosmic threat. And all I can say to that is fucking what? Like, sure, count me in. This is Lonnie Nadler, half of the writing minds of Come Into Me, which I fucking love to death, and I still champion that book to this day, so I'm super sold. Jenna Cha's art from the previews I saw looked very chilling, which seems to match up with what this book is trying to deliver, so I'm here for some very weird brain-bending horror shit from Vault. Let me at him. I'm super excited, but that's me. (sighs) Guys, I have so many thoughts about X-Men, but we have to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about how you read comic books it's very broad strange umbrella topic but we're going to get into it so we'll be back in just a moment before we start the show this week i want to let you know that we have a new zine that is dropping today the day this episode comes out make sure you go to ircbpodcast.com slash zine to get the latest issue of the ircb zine there's so much cool stuff in there there might even be photos from me in japan so fingers crossed go check it out ircbpodcast.com slash zine For our show this week, we are talking about how you read comic books. Now, this isn't going to be a here, you know, you open the book and then you read from left to right unless you're reading manga, then it's right to left. It's not It's not going to be anything like that. It's more of a deep dive look at how you process art and dialogue and page structure and themes and when you're reading a comic do you pick up on the overarching idea of an issue over an arc or of an entire series how do you analyze your comic books as you're reading them and consuming them and you know Kate you put this idea in the doc and I was kind of worried about where we were going to go and really what this topic was truly about because it's it's such a broad thing but uh, seeing what we have in our notes doc I'm actually like really excited to talk about this because you guys have some very different ideas than I do and that's always amazing so let me let's start with you like how do you read comic books what's your like focus for when you actually sit down to read a single issue or an ogn or whatever
1: yeah, I came up with this idea because I realized this huge disparity between how long it takes me to read a comic versus how long it takes Brian to read a comic. He'll okay. be done in like five minutes with an issue, mm-hmm. and in the meantime, it takes me about fifteen minutes to really take in everything, which is why I have so many unread comics. <laughs> right, understandable, understandable. Um, but I I thought about this when I when I started getting really really back into comics a couple of years ago before I was on the podcast. And I realized that you have your writer who's an artist in one one respect, and then you have your your artist and your colorist and your, your letterer, and they're all artists in their own respects. So as a person who tried to write once upon a time, and now does a graphic design and knows a lot of artists personally, I feel like every element of a book should be... Appreciated in its own its own way, mm-hmm. so I do get really into comics, and I'll, I'll find myself reading really quickly sometimes, and I'll miss the art and things. So if I realize that, I'll go back and I'll I'll look at things. But the way I try to read a book is take a look at the page layout first of all, because that will inform. Um, I mean first of all, somebody spent a lot of time figuring out the best way to lay out this page. Right, right. And if, if I went into comics, that's one of the things I'd be interested in, is, is layout. Um, but it will inform like the directions that your characters are moving, um, any any kind of interruptions, like if, if somebody is actually out of the panel, that might indicate that they're interrupting a character in a different panel, mm-hmm. or that they're in a hurry. Um, and then as I'm reading the book, I'll look at, first the dialogue or the narration that's in the panel, the words, and then I'll check out the art <clears throat> because I want to know, first of all, what's going to happen in the story. Like, I don't want to, like, I don't know, spoil myself maybe? Sure. Um, but yeah, I'll I'll spend a little bit of time with every part of every panel before I move on.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that's, that's really interesting because I my approach is completely different but you know before we get into that nick let's what's your kind of overview when you're approaching books for the first time like how do you take in a comic when you're first reading it
2: yeah um i i would say i i think something that's happened since i've sort of gotten back into reading comics that i've noticed that i I find kind of fascinating is that i would say my reading speed has both kind of slowed down and sped up at the same time Mm -hmm. um and, and by that I mean that in terms of speeding things up um, The more you read comics, generally speaking The more you get kind of familiar with weird, unfamiliar panel layouts uh, Odd speech bubble organization The idea that sometimes things aren't exactly laid out intuitively Or are more of a, a complicated layout And so mm-hmm. the more familiar you are with comics The less these things tend to throw at you So in that sense I would say I've sped up um, on the flip side, you know, the more you learn about how long it takes to make comics, um, how many people are involved, um, just how long this process just can take for certain things, um, because it's it's always longer than you think, um, with few exceptions. Um, yeah, you just can't help but sort of slow down and take things in. Um, obviously, the the big part of this being um, the art in a comic. Um, but I think even this is has a more nuanced answer because for me, in some cases, quote-unquote, good art, let's just throw that loaded term around here. I've put quotes around sure. it for those who can't see me, so don't get mad. Um, um, sometimes for me, good art is art that just quite simply flows. Um, not every panel is or should be treated like an Alex Ross painting that you should stand in line for 45 minutes to stare at. Um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes good, again, in quotes, don't get mad, people. uh, Sometimes good art allows for the book to sort of sustain or maintain a certain pace, even if that pace is faster than, you know, really getting a chance to sit and stare at things. Because sometimes panels just aren't really meant for one to stare at forever. They're sequential art that's allowing the pace to maintain, you know, what it is. Um, Right. Well... Well, just to, just to comment on that really quick, I was having a conversation with a
0: buddy of mine um, the other day and we were talking about how some, there are some artists out there who do that thing where they'll take an, just a single image and then break that image up into multiple panels and call that like sequential art. And I, I don't think yeah. that that's necessarily wrong, but it does kind of take away from what you were talking about there with the momentum. And maybe in some cases there are like, that's done purposefully to try to convey, you know, maybe a single character sitting in a chair and and your, you know, each panel has different dialogue, or in some cases, there will be no dialogue, and it's just a person sitting in a chair, broken up into like six or nine panels or something. It's kind of odd because there's not a sequential piece to it. It's just a splash page, but yeah. it's broken up for some reason. And I, I mean, some artists do that, and I think in rare cases, it's effective. I think ultimately, it feels like you wanted to break things up to kind of cre- create a cadence when you didn't necessarily right. need to, because it's, it's artificially not like you're be induced that pacing. In. Right. You're not scanning that image individually by the panels. You're, you're seeing the whole page. You don't need to scan that whole image unless there is something specific about it. Like if you want to show someone aging, maybe you have it broken up into six panels, and each panel is that person sitting in the same pose, and they're aging in each panel in some way. Or there's dialogue that's important in each of those panels. Then you'd have to you know read it sequentially. But uh, I definitely know that there are books out there where it's just someone leaping across the page, and it's broken up into six panels. Panels for no good reason just to like create that idea of panel layout Um, and I I realize that can be done effectively and I'm not trying to poo-poo on that idea but um, to go back to your whole part about like sequential imaging um, that I think is key when you're trying to determine the pace of a book and I think that pages like that can kind of interrupt that as you have to kind of step back from the idea of panel layout in order to take in a full image that is broken up into panels.
2: Yeah, or or when an artist will use um, inset panels within a splash page or something like that there will be inset paneling that you have to navigate and like you said, um, sometimes that inset paneling feels like artificial, right? Like you'll just, there'll be a big splash page and they'll they'll just kind of draw a a smaller inset square around one of the characters in the background or something and you're like, "Um, why? (laughs) Uh, What are you trying to draw attention to? Yeah, it's just trying to draw attention. It's it's a question of like what's the
0: effectiveness of that, and I think it mm-hmm. varies from book to book. I don't think there's necessarily a definitive answer. But um, but it sounds to me like what you're saying is that like the pacing is a crucial part for you when you're reading because it determines like the speed of the book. It determines the speed at which you consume it. Um, does that vary from like when it comes to weird page layouts? Like I'm thinking Batman or Batwoman elegy. I don't know if you read that. That's, J. That H. is Williams exactly book.
2: where my mind went. That's yeah, okay. Okay. Or just J.H. Yeah, yeah, Williams that's... art in general yeah
0: yeah true true i mean does something like that interrupt your flow or do you think like as a you know more longer term comic reader you've kind of learned to
2: understand those panels and it doesn't interrupt your flow well i think you have to i I i think some people will look at something like that and just try to power through you know what i mean like sure and 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 i don't blame them and i'm not saying this is exclusive to inexperienced readers or younger readers i think I think for some people reading comics, there is a pace for for them reading, and it just doesn't change. Like that's just how fast they're gonna read everything, and so th- people aren't taking the time to say like, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm reading this how I normally would, but the, you know, the text bubbles aren't making any sense." Well, gee, that's a clue. That's a clue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or I'm I'm. It seems like what I'm reading is out of order, and and at that point, you would hope that people would take a step back and sort of re you know reorienteer themselves and 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 try to figure out the order in which things uh are supposed to be right but 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 I, i i don't think everybody does and and on the flip side i understand some people's frustration because sometimes like a lot of different like a lot of different techniques in comics sometimes things just don't seem effective or you don't really understand the intent like we talked about just a few seconds ago with having this inset paneling sometimes artists do it and it's like uh, what was this for you know sure sure so
0: well that's that's interesting i mean i i think that i mean my my big takeaway from this topic was um less about like reading speed um and more about like actually absorbing the whole comic as like as an entirety or in its entirety like you know depending on the book I'll get lost in the words and I'll just read through like for instance all these X-Men books the the first time I usually read through them or the first handful of pages I'm just like zooming through the text and I'm barely taking in the art and to go back to what you were saying before Nick like your big thing is you you mentioned you know you also should take the time to to breathe in that art take it in as part of the greater story Um, but the thing that I found is that you know when it comes to big two books a lot of times you know the there aren't a lot of visual clues that are trying to lead the story instead it's all built around text and captions so reading the text and captions is pretty much the focal point of the book which is maybe an inherent problem in some or some the majority of superhero books I think is that there is no telling piece of the art that if you missed it, you wouldn't understand it. And I think to the point when that does happen, um, you almost feel like lost in the book. Like, what, what do you mean this person is suddenly, you know, six foot tall, what happened? You know, no one described it to me because I I think a lot of superhero books have trained us in, Mm. I, I I point the finger a little bit at Stanley but it's not as bad as you know Stanley's day where when something happens in the page someone talks about it or reacts to it immediately there's no if you didn't miss it two pages ago you know so and so is now six foot tall and oh my goodness that's a big deal Um, instead someone would have said it oh my gosh I can't believe that you're six foot tall now you know this is a very weird example but usually there's a reaction and it's said and it's spoken in some capacity um, so that you are reading it you're not just looking for the visual clue and so I I think when it comes to superhero books a lot of the times I'm just flying through those books because the only thing I really need to take in to get the soap opera drama story of the X-Men books is the dialogue and the character interactions Um, and rarely do you have like panels that are just a visual like reaction or something and every once in a while you do you'll get a character face so you'll get a something um that is kind of like a, a a beat ending and it's usually at the bottom of the page or at the you know the top of a page um it's not usually hidden within the middle of a page uh, i realize I'm, I'm being very specific and i'm not meaning to be but um usually it's a punctuation of of the the story when there is a visual clue or something that you just need to look at as a reaction. There's no dialogue necessary Mm -hmm. or caption necessary. Um, So with superhero books, I just fly through them. Um, And a lot of the times, like for instance, I was reading new mutants number one and that book is just a lot of text and you're kind of moving through it pretty quick. And, but the art in that book, like Ivan Reese's art is unbelievably good to the point where I got like a page or two in and I was like, oh, shit, I need to take a step back because this is really some top notch stuff that I really enjoy. Like, I really love his art style. And I slowed down reading that book and I feel like I absorbed it better because of that. And that's a whole other thing I want to get into is just oh, yeah. how do you absorb and keep these ideas. But um, it's interesting to see that we're, we all kind of come at this in a, in a different way um i guess uh was there other stuff you want to get to do because i really want to talk more about the absorb like how do you absorb a comic and think about the higher themes but um kate i know you you mentioned something about you you know you studied english and writing in college so like do you feel like because of that it gives you an advantage in reading comics
1: i don't know about advantage because maybe
0: that's the wrong word
1: (laughs) it, it noticing things like foreshadowing and exposition and metaphors and like character development moments and things like that kind of pulls me out of a comic, if anything. So I've taken to reading the comic for immersion, um, just like enjoying the story, enjoying the art, getting through it, enjoying it while 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 it's happening and then flipping through it again and then when I'm flipping through it, I'll I'll think more about okay, well this is how it ended, so I'll you know I'm I'll be more aware of foreshadowing if anything, um, and then noticing the exposition the second time is fine. Whereas if I noticed it the first time, it's like well this is exposition, okay. <laughs> uh, so I've taken to flipping through books again, t- specifically to appreciate those things, mm-hmm. and then also to kind of like refresh my memory, especially if it's a library book. Because I've realized that if I sit down and fly through a trade in one setting, I'm not going to be able to tell you anything about it the next day because I didn't take any time to, like, between readings, like, between sittings, I didn't take any time to um, remember it, I guess, So like, take it in. Yeah. Um, I just was, like, started it, and then I was done with it. Gotcha. So flipping through it, through it again both helps me separate my two styles of reading things in general, not Mm -hmm. just comics. Um, And then also helps me to kind of like remember, remember this book going forward.
0: Gotcha. Nick, do you have a similar approach to how you like, I guess, take in comics? I guess we're talking about the whole absorption thing regardless, but um, like, how do you like spot, things like you know overarching themes and all that stuff do you have to go back and like reflect on books this is maybe reminiscent to folks of the the rereading episode that we did about what what, do you reread comics why do you reread comics um but uh yeah i I don't know nick do you do you have to do the same thing do you usually like flip through a book and then kind of come back to it later to refresh
2: yourself on the themes or the overarching story um i mean i and, and and you know this as well, like, I, I'm notorious for, as I'm reading through a book, like, I'm already creating all of my different, you know, canons or theories or, you know, conspiracy theories about where something is going, and I'll send you a picture sure. from the book, and I'll be like, oh my gosh, what's this going, on? you know, what's going on here, and yeah, that can be... Mm-hmm certainly distracting and so there's there's value in in sort of like i'll i'll reread a full page or i'll go back or if i'm confused i might even um start the whole issue over i think um i think sometimes that actually depends on the medium for me you know um yeah you're not reading the three quarters of a, a prose book and then starting over because you're like maybe i'm not getting this yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe this isn't for me um yeah if, if, if it's like a physical single issue like a lot of times i just won't um maybe be inclined to do that because uh either rereading uh entails me possibly needing to go get um previous issues for a better context um and that right, means right. fighting with my own storage and, and, and cataloging system or um it just simply means, I mean, a lot of times when I'm reading single issues, when I'm done, it goes in the bag, it goes in there with a the board, and it just gets put away. And so, just simply having to go back and revisit some of that, you know, storage process, you know, I just don't want to do it. So, if, if I'm rereading, it's frequently digital, actually.
0: Yeah. We, we all need to go and adopt Paul's um, no bag, no board, just throw them in a box system so that it's real easy to retrieve, right? Just let it be, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I agree with you. I think finding finding single issues to go back to is always a pain, which is why I find myself more and more switching over to digital just for that reason, to be like, what actually happened at the end of issue nine? It came out six months ago because I'm reading Wasted Space or something like that. No, that, that book actually doesn't have delays. They have natural breaks, and it's fine. Um, but like Sex Criminals, for instance, I, I when the last couple of issues came out, I was like, man, I got to go back and reread the whole last arc because I don't remember what was happening. And... That, that allowed me to, again, retain more of the story, but um, it's so much easier to do when it's digital, and I think I, I for that series I was buying physical, I think I went back and I just bought the single issues, because I was like, man, I, I can buy them for a dollar, or something like that, there was a sale, I was like, I can spend 99 cents on four issues in order to like not have to dig through my boxes in order to find my copies of Sex Criminals. Um, And I think digital really allows you to do that, like in such an easy way. I mean, obviously it allows you to do that. Um, I'd I'd be curious to hear from other listeners who are physical only or mostly physical who go back and um, reread books because it's like, how do you manage the storage? How do you go back and find all your stuff? Do you have a beautiful cataloging system that I'm just not aware of? Or like, do you just have more space so that you can easily find the comic books? (laughs) Um, And it's just like, oh, I can go to my wall of comics and pull out a drawer and I know that all of Saga is sitting right here or something. Um, I'd be curious to know if how folks deal with that, or maybe it's, they just buy the digital issue to be like, you know what? I know that I have the physical copy. I can read the digital one, um, because it's maybe cheaper or something like that after it's been out for a couple of months. Um,
1: if it's. If it's something that I know I'm going to want to remember or be able to talk about later, I log everything in Goodreads and there's actually a private notes section okay. when you're leaving a review. <laughs> so I'll so I'll I'll put a little summary of what happens including, you know, the end of it. I spoil it for myself basically. Right, right. And that between between that and then maybe looking up like the comicsology um, look inside feature, I like it helps me remember. It it jogs my memory right. pretty
0: well. Right. So that's, that's really interesting because I think like my, my big problem with a lot of times with, with like absorbing books is that I, I feel like I'll do a night where I'm like binging and I'll read like 10 comics in a row and those nights it's really hit or miss on whether or not like I fully absorb the comic. Um Like and I know that there are some books that I'm like, I need to, I really want to take this book in. So it's going to be like one of two comics I'm reading tonight because I'm going to take my time. I'm going to go really deep into this book. And when you're someone like me, who's got like a decent size pull, like I know I'm not pulling as much as a lot of other people, um, but I, I'm pulling quite a few books. And if I want to actually absorb all these books, I know I have to take time. And in some cases, you know, take notes. I mean, I rarely do that, but you know, for instance, like the, the Doom Patrol series that Paul and I did on Patreon, you know, for that series, I was taking rigorous notes throughout the entire read of each of those trades. So as I was sitting down, you know, reading four to seven issues at a time, like each issue had a page and a half worth of notes as I'm writing down things and, oh, this tied back to the previous one. And now I'm remembering this thing and Morrison's doing this other thing. And on the whole, it turns out that I'm really bad at putting that stuff together. In general, like, Paul always came to those ish- or episodes with just like, yeah, Mike, the actual overarching thing was this. And I'm like, I was way off. I thought
2: they were talking about baseball, not geopolitical, like, infrastructure.
1: <laughs> Paul's like,
2: I know that you're supposed to bring your own interpretation to this, but yours is wrong.
0: Yeah, I mean, with the exception of the, there was a moment that I did actually, I think, get Paul. And he was like, oh, man, I never considered that. And I like, it was, a, it's a moment of pride that I'll hold on did to and I go back and listen to those episodes. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, no, I. there was a moment that, like, uh, you know, Paul and I were talking, and there's a moment in, in Doom Patrol where the idea of this humongous thing that's happening in the story all gets kind of wiped away in, like, a snap because of something that happens, and... My whole interpretation of that was that Grant Morrison at the time was really, really into or has been known to be really into chaos magic and the idea of extreme ornamentation with the idea that it all is stemmed around the idea of a single belief. And as soon as that belief is gone, all of the massive work that you've done was meaningless because it's chaos. It's the idea of, of so much buildup for no reason. It's, it's insane. Um, and so I, you know, I went through this whole big thing with Paul and he was like, holy shit, that's, that works. <laughs> I was like, I get it. I finally got it. But for the rest of that series, I missed everything. Um, so go listen to that series. You could listen to me be a dummy. But I, I found that um, coming out of that book, like taking very rigorous notes and kind of talking myself through the things that were happening in... Um, in the single issues, as well as the overarching thing of the of the volume, as well as the whole story, really, really helped me understand and remember a lot of that book. Um, and of course, this is this is logical stuff. If you're in college, or if you're in high school, or middle school, or whatever, taking notes of the things that you're doing by hand, or um, just notes in general, always help you remember and retain and understand things better. Um, something I learned probably in my last year of college um, that was unfortunate, but Still doing that kind of stuff, it's like, do we have to put in this work for comics? And I'm like, in some cases, if you really want to get deep into a text, you do. And I think like, you know, Nick, you for this show take rigorous amounts of notes, and I'm it's obvious that it helps a lot because in some cases you way better understand shit than, than me, for instance. So um it's it's like it's it's a balance, you know. I, I I but then again, I'm I've always been bad at like understanding overarching themes until someone points it out to me and goes, Oh, one plus one is to i never put that together um so that maybe that's just me i'm just bad at it
1: you mentioned reading things digitally i'm wondering if you guys use the guided view at all
0: i do depending on the book it's it's rare like i have a i have a nice ipad because i gifted myself for my wedding and um I've been reading just on the iPad, and the iPad's big enough that I can read full page. Like, I had a Kindle Fire for a while, too, and the Kindle Fire was, like, the perfect size for a comic page, so I was reading full page for a while, but every once in a while, I'll go through and read Guided View. That's always helpful i love guided view
1: i don't find myself using it unless i'm trying to like zoom in on something because my tablet's kind of small yeah, or yeah. if i if i have no idea how to follow the panels if it's really poorly laid out
0: right. well i mean and that's that's all put on the the, the people that do the guided view because that's like a manual process where people yeah. are going through and they're actually creating the guided view and so someone else is doing the interpretation i think with author intent you know there but um
2: so it's that's that's really interesting nick do you do you use that at all Um, I mean, I, have probably talked about this way too much before, but, um, yeah, for me, guided view, I, look, I, I, I understand the necessity. It, it certainly serves a purpose. Um, as Kate was saying, if you aren't really sure how to navigate a page, it's nice to have at least someone else's attempt at understanding it. Um, sometimes they don't even get it. I, 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 would argue, um, and certainly, if, I, I think if you're new to comics, that is a huge help. And I know if, if you're someone... I think like Brian likes to read comics on his phone. Um, if, if you're doing that, Guided View is basically a necessity. Otherwise, it's yeah. a bunch of zooming in and out and driving yourself insane. So I, I think it has a place. I think it has value. Um, for me, Guided View, either if I have it on and I'm reading a book that I haven't read before... I set comiXology, and everybody, you can go do this. It's not that hard. You can either have comiXology either zoom out on and basically show you the full page and panel layout before you start going through all the panels, or you can have it um, zoom out at the end of completing the page, which is what I prefer, and sort of show you the whole um, layout. Um, Typically, I find a lot of my guided view experiences are actually with books that i've read before. Hmm. like it's something where i already know the content so it's more about me if if i'm needing to get through something, you know, quicker or just sort of, you know, breeze through something then then i'll use guided view because i'm not as worried about what i'm missing cuz as, as kate got at like sometimes i feel like guided view either zooms in too much and it starts distorting the image occasionally or you realize upon finishing a page, um, when it zooms out, you're like, "Oh my gosh!" Like guided view, none of the guided view zooms, like they all cut out this corner of the page or something like that. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I've had that happen before. There's nothing quote unquote important maybe in that corner, but it's still very bizarre. You know what I mean? Because you're you're still missing a piece of the picture. So yeah, yeah. For me, guided view has its uses. Um, but i would definitely encourage people um don't just go whole hog on guided view cuz y- you are missing out on certain things obviously
0: interesting interesting um <laughs> well that's that's like a i wonder if that is something that is maybe a drawback i know like there's a, there's a lot of adv- i don't know i think guided view has like a really awesome place in comics and it it allows people who maybe couldn't read comics easily the ability to do so you know like there's an accessibility side to it you know especially if you've got a massive tablet of some or something like that and you don't have very good vision it allows you to read those tiny panels without having to do the manual zoom in but oh, um, I'm kind of rehashing what what Nick already said there
2: no 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 i it's that's that's totally right i i think for for some people i think it's a great entry point into comics i think it in a way is basically a very helpful hand holding if you will and and as you said it also Definitely assists people who, um, you know, need accessibility. You know, functionality. I don't remember exactly what that's. Yeah, accessibility features and stuff. That's yeah.
0: interesting. Well, I guess the the other part of this question that I is not really inherent in the in the original question that we talked about was, you know, is there like a a certain state of mind that you have to be in when you're reading like, do you guys have to do you guys mentally prepare yourselves to sit down and read comics and maybe maybe we've talked about this on the show before but I'm always curious to know because I know that for me I have to kind of put myself into like a mode to be like I'm going to read some comics and like I kind of said before if there are bigger comics or comics that I know are going to be super heavy I kind of have to be in the right mindset to sit down and read them like jumping into East of West for instance like Jonathan Hickman's book is a wild ride into to insanity in some places, and it's a lot to take in with a lot of self-referencing, um, self-references, and a whole bunch of other things that go into it. And it's a very big book with a lot of you know big concepts. Um, the thing that uh, I have to do though when I'm sitting down to read that book is it either needs it, either is gonna be just the book that I read, or it's the last book that I read because I know it's gonna just <laughs> exhaust my mind. Uh, do you guys like prepare your reading order for the day or whatever? You know, you sit down to read comics in that kind of way.
1: If anything, I think the time sink is is my biggest thing, because if I know that I have to do something or be somewhere in an hour, I'm not going to sit down and read something that I have, like, four or five issues of, because I'm going to want to read all of the issues. Right, right. Um, but it's going to take me 15 minutes to get, to get through an issue on average, so I'm not going to start this, this series, basically, or trade. Um, when I want to do something else in an hour, which means that I have an awful lot of trades or or back copies that I haven't read. I just, right. like, these stacks of comics just get bigger because I don't want to sit down and read them because I know I'm going to want to read all of them, but I have, you know, 10 issues waiting for me.
2: Right, right. What about you, Nick? I, I think, interestingly enough, again, there's a real divide between physical and digital for me. Um, if I'm reading physical comics like it as you said it like basically borders on like the ritualistic right i i carve out time i stack the comics i pull out the boards i pull out the bags you know i mean the the neurosis goes to no end right like i'm about to put everything on the 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 side table in the living room but i you know Mm -hmm. check the table to make sure nobody's like left a a cup ring or something or like a you know, something with a water outline that, you know, you end up putting your comics into, like I said, it's a problem, guys. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, I sort of try to tell myself that when I'm reading comics, one, I'm not going to eat you know, any food or anything, because I don't want to get anything on them. Um, (laughs) I try to not use my computer or my phone when I'm reading comics, because then you just transfer the oils from your fingers onto the book. I know this is getting crazy. I know I have a problem. You probably have the problem, too, so don't come to me about this. Um, So, yeah, it's very much, like, just me and the books, and it takes a while. But do you you get yourself...
0: Into like a headspace? Is there like a, okay, I'm going to sit down and read comics? Because I think I do that a lot myself. Like, if I'm going to sit down and read some comics, I kind of like have to sit down get myself in a comfortable position if I'm reading physical books usually I lay them out in some sort of reading order that is makes them all visible to me so that I can mm. say like I know what's going to be coming you're next you're the crazy one um, got it okay I, No, no, and I, I get it it's a ritual man it's like it's a whole thing <laughs> like I think I've posted photos on like Instagram and stuff like that of being like here's what I'm reading today and I never get through the whole stack because I'm like yeah these 45 comics NBD I got three hours that's not how this works um, yeah. but still like you know I lay them all out to be like okay I know what I'm going to be getting myself into Okay, I put all the, like, you know, fluffy comics first, and then I'll get into some of the heavier shit, maybe put, like, something right. that I know I really want to read in the middle so that I have, like, a goal.
2: I'm glad you touched on the ordering part of it because that is a whole yeah. other, you know, Jesus.
0: Yeah, that that's a whole
2: thing. Crazy ritual shit.
1: I also, I, I have three or four places in my house where I will mm-hmm. sit down and read comics, and most of them have to do with how good the lighting right. is. And I also order my comics... But I save any of those comics that I have a number of issues of for last because I want to get through all of these like number ones or like one shots that I've got first. So if you look at my Goodreads reading history, there'll be these these like Sundays or Saturdays where I've read 15 comics, but most of them weren't things that. I had a number of issues Mm -hmm. Or or trades They're just all these These one-offs That I got through Yeah
0: my my spreadsheet Kind of does the same thing Because I I just track everything In a a Google spreadsheet And like it's you'll see all the number ones get read through really quick and then you'll see like four or five issues of a book and then you'll see you know a one-off or a trade or something and i'll like round the whole thing off with something that i know is going to have an end point that i can go okay now i'm done reading comics because after reading two or three trades in a row or tr- just a trade after a couple of single issues is like that's all the mental capacity i have today for comics
1: <laughs> yeah i always read about i don't know a third of what i intend oh, course, to when i course. sit down
0: that's and it's it's really interesting. And again, I'd love to hear from listeners out there to know like what your little comic ritual is. And I, again, we've talked about this on other episodes before um, because I know there are folks that, that listen to the show that we've talked to that read like 20 issues in a day. Wednesday comes and they're reading all their books in one day. I got to know what that's yeah. like. That's such yeah. a, an interesting thing to me um, to be like, you know, are you taking notes? Are you writing things down? Are you absorbing all of it? Or are you just that? awesome and that your brain can do that like my brain can't i just don't have the like mental capacity to take all that in and make sure that it's like something that i i enjoy and i'm sure that you're enjoying all of it i just am curious to know like what your your brain pattern system ritual is like in order to make that all happen for you and work well so yeah there's there there's that open question for you um i don't know do you guys have any other final thoughts about you know how you read comic books again this is a very broad topic so it's okay if you don't (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm just curious as to how long it takes you guys to get through a single issue on average. Um it depends on the book. There
0: there are some books that I know that aren't going to be word heavy and so I know I'm going to be able to get through them really quick like m- maybe 8 minutes um and then there are some books like uh, you know jonathan hickman book for instance that's that's a weird example um or there, there are just some writers out there that i know are just very they write a lot in their books and i know those books will take me anywhere between you know 10 and 15 minutes to get through um but i would say like the fastest i've ever read a
2: comic in recent history was like three or four minutes <laughs> and it was definitely an x-men book <laughs> Yeah. I'm 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 probably somewhere around the ten minute mark, but then it, it shoots upwards depending upon if it's um if it's a book I care more about or a book that I'm uh, taking notes on or, you know, reading for this podcast or, or something else, you know, or if there are just lots of visual elements to take in, then, then that slows things down too. Yeah. Um and that's of course why I try to put those books towards the the end of my reading session. Because as Mike said, the, a lot of the Capes books tend to be at the the front because um, some of them tend to lean towards a redundancy between text and and visuals. Yeah, yeah. So again, we I'd love to hear from from folks out there if, if
0: you have like if you know how long it takes you to read comics or maybe measure yourself you know for a week and see yourself, and see what yeah. it's like. Because I think that's that's a really interesting measurement to have. I don't I don't keep track of that, but. Um, like, I do, like, the books that I've read and everything, but um, that'd be something, if I had more time, like, this is the thing that makes it it's really interesting, Kate, you said, you know, you mark everything on Goodreads, and you write a little summary. I'm like, that takes so much time to the comic reading experience. Yeah. Um, not to say that it's bad, I just think that that's a very interesting way to do that, um, because it, it, it if you build it into a habit, it becomes, like, a, a natural component of your comic book reading, but... um to build into that i feel like sometimes even just reading a handful of comics takes up a lot of time and i'm like shit um i want to read more i want to get through these quickly but you know to add another layer on top of that is to add more time to it is kind of like a it, to me would feel almost burdensome but uh, i guess how did you i know i'm trying to wrap up here but i'm curious how did you go from like just mentally keeping notes to writing on goodreads or was it just like that's something you did from the get-go
1: I found Goodreads, oh gosh, like 10 years ago because I was losing track of the prose books that I had read or or yeah. that I wanted to read. And then when I started getting more into comics, it was just natural for me to at least try to find mm-hmm. those things on Goodreads. And then especially once I realized how bad my memory has gotten, that's when I started making sure that I left reviews or summaries if I didn't think I was going to be able to remember it. That's also
0: part of it. I think taking Um, little notes here and there is definitely super helpful for memory retention there.
1: Yeah. And especially because I I know I might want to reference them later now Mm -hmm. being on the podcast. So it's more important to me now than, than it, than it yeah, has Yeah, I mean, before. that's why
0: I started keeping the spreadsheet. It was just I was reading so many comics that I knew I would eventually want to talk about. And I didn't want to keep just referencing the books that I read like the day of or the day before. So to, to actually have that list is super helpful. Nick, do you, do you keep track of anything like that um, for your comics? Or do you just go to the box or go to whatever on Comixology and just like say, oh,
2: these are the ones that I read? Yeah. Um, no I, I i don't think there's anywhere where i have a a definitive log of of what i've read um maybe i should um like the closest thing for me is that usually at the very least if i'm on the show and sometimes if i'm not um i'm taking notes in one of my whatever notebook i'm mm-hmm. on you know just logging logging stuff about the book so i've got stuff to talk about when I'm on, but no, like I don't have a definitive database or anything anywhere. Gotcha. Mm
0: -hmm. Gotcha. Well, we should, we should, I should make everyone do that on the show. (laughs) There's no way that would happen. But uh, (laughs) I, I, the reason I do it, and I will say just real quick before we wrap up here, I love at the end of the year, um, or at least the beginning of the following year, to be able to go through this list and be like, "Here's everything that I read, and here's like a percentage of publishers, and here's a percentage of um, you know types of books, single issues versus OGNs versus trades, um, all that stuff." Uh, I think is a is a really interesting piece of data. Like I think that that stuff is super fascinating. It's to why to this day I still use Last.fm like a fucking dork. Um, theme of this episode is everyone's a fucking dork, and uh, I, I just love the stats of like look all the things that you've done it's like a weird achievement that I keep just for myself um to say like oh here's the stuff I'm listening to here's the stuff that I'm reading um and usually Goodreads is tracking what books I'm reading because I don't read enough prose books but um Still, I, I, I find all that data to be really interesting. But um, that's that's a whole other discussion, I think, is the comic book data that we keep. <laughs> I'll put that in the list or something. But uh, for now, I'm going to wrap up here. I'm going to say you know, thank you guys for being on the show this week. You can follow us all on Twitter. You can follow Nick at Death Star Plans. You can follow Kate at Kate Elfier. You can follow me at Mike Rappin and the show at IRCB Podcast, where we post comic news, sass, and art, all that stuff. We also, on Instagram, I try to post there semi-regularly, a handful of times a week
1: this show is powered by fans like you and patreon find our patreon at patreon.com ircbpodcast podcast you can join for access to exclusive audio articles previews of the ircb schedule early access to the top of my pile posts and more our goodreads group is great it's a lovely community of comic friends um, you can join for our yearly reading challenge and comment on our weekly threads i'm Working very hard to get the the yearly greeting challenge completed. Um, you can f- you can find that at ircbpodcast.com slash goodreads. And our website is ircbpodcast.com, where you can find our pronunciation guide, Discord server, zines, merch, and everything else, IRCB.
0: With, speaking of the zine, we have a new zine dropping... The day this episode comes out, I should say, there's a new zine coming out, I think, or maybe I'm wrong, Kate. Is that not happening this no, week? No, it is. <laughs> that's, that's happening this week. We've got a new zine coming out, so make sure you check that out at ircbpodcastcom
2: zine, and you'll get the PDF directly through that link. If you haven't already, please rate and review our show. Five stars would be great on iTunes and beyond, Stitcher, wherever. We'll read your review on the next episode. Also, you can email the show with what you've been reading. If you have recipes, corrections, insight, thoughts on an episode, whatever, ircbpodcast at gmail.com.
0: Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They have a new album that's out. It is incredible. We want to thank them for letting us use their music over the years. They are a wonderful band. Xander is a wizard. He doesn't edit the show. I'm editing the show this week, but I just want to say thank you because he's done so much work over the last couple weeks. He's incredible. I want to say thank you to Nick and Kate for being on this episode, and thank you to all of you fantastic people out there who have hang out with us on the internet and listen to the show and comment and join us on Discord. It's fantastic. Until next time, comics are good, and so are you.
1: Yeah, Nick. I added all of the nonfiction comics you were talking about to my to-read list.
2: Oh, the Moon one? Yeah, it's uh yeah. It's it's really really good. Um, it's it's super fascinating, especially because they look at how even uh, in a time in a day and age when the twenty-four hour news cycle wasn't really a thing, um, within a year of the moon landing. Um, people were doing like polling about about the event and um, like most people couldn't even remember the astronauts names like a year later within months of it <laughs> happening NASA slashed um, like um, all I know is that
0: we went to space
2: and they didn't bring back any cheese
0: I was told there was going to yeah, be yeah. cheese <laughs> I was and told I was, they the were going to bring back my lost
2: things what? yeah um. <laughs> <laughs> that's what America, that's how Americans think right yeah i I didn't get nothing from this uh but i mean it, it was it was like pretty sad like they talk about how NASA's budget was slashed by more than half like within the months after it happened and uh like a lot of the astronauts you know obviously this didn't like go over that well for them and uh uh it's 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 interesting they even kind of put forth this theory that um the reason that the moon landing being faked is such a pervasive um conspiracy theory has to do with the fact that it really wasn't that long after the moon landing that in like the year or two that followed or three um you had like the pentagon papers and nixon resigning and so there was like a massive amount of um governmental you know distrust and because of that the moon landing being faked is still you know uh I mean, amongst conspiracy theories, it's one of the ones that's still pretty alive. For Listen, I for went worse. to go see that 2001 A Space Odyssey, and he made the space look
0: pretty real. That Deadpool. guy that made eyes wide shut. <laughs> 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 yeah. That this, this is forever going to be just my like dumb American impersonation. I just don't even know if I can believe what they tell me on TV.
2: Yeah. And it's like... <laughs> like some of that you can maybe even faintly consider up until you remember that they put these giant mirrors on the moon so that we could shoot lasers off of them and oh god why i think it was like for calculating the distance or something and uh yeah you you is that true yeah it's true it's in the book.
0: I don't fucking believe you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't see the I can't see the mirrors from my house. Yeah, if I can't real, see it with my own naked eye, uh... <laughs> listen. Gravity is only a theory that I only partially believe in. Um, okay, let's <laughs> let's do the rest of this fucking show. Let's... <laughs>